Hey guys, thanks for tuning in today to the JTP Church Podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message. If you want to share with us what God is doing in your life, you can write us at hello at jtp.church. If you would like to partner with us and make a financial gift to our ministry, you can visit us at www.jtp.church and make a donation. Now sit back and enjoy the message. Welcome to the last service of JTP Church. Next week we're having Conquista and we're starting at 7. Did you guys announce that we're starting a little bit later? Okay, next week we're starting at 7 o'clock, one hour later. So make sure you don't get here at 6 or you freak out or you think that church has been canceled. It's going to start at 7 o'clock. And Jackson Senyonga is going to be with us from all the way in Uganda, Africa. So it's going to be amazing. It's going to be a bilingual service. He preaches in English, and we're going to be translating it into Spanish. But I believe that God has something powerful, not just on Sunday night, but it starts on Friday. So I encourage you guys to be here on Friday. The apostle is going to be bringing the word. Friday night, we're going to be starting. And then Saturday, we got Contagious, and we have Pastor Carlos Ortiz as well. And then Sunday morning, we're going to start at 10 a.m., there's not going to be any 9 a.m. service next Sunday. We're going to start at 10, and there's not going to be any breakthrough. It's going to go straight from 10 all the way to 1, 1.30. Pastor Jackson Senyonga is going to be ministering there among other pastors. And then Sunday night is going to be the closing, and that's going to be amazing. So tell the person next to you, you better not miss it or else. Come on. Give them a holy threat. It's going to be amazing. Amen. How many of you guys are expecting something big? Amen. It's good to come to the house of God with expectation. And I love it when people are vocal. So please help me out. I preach better when people are vocal and they get into it and they say amen and they shout out to me. It helps me out. All right. I want to start tonight's message and I want to speak to you about better than gold. Everybody say better than gold. How many of you guys have been watching the Olympics a little bit? At least the highlights. Anybody? Carly and I have been pretty backed up. We got our DVR like with 40 episodes. We haven't had much much time to watch. Literally, I'm serious. We got at least 37, 38 episodes. We're like two weeks behind or a week and a half behind. We're just getting through our swimming, right? We're still watching Michael Phelps and stuff like that. And Carly and I were sitting down and watching this guy just take gold medal after gold medal after gold medal after gold medal after gold medal. And we said, what an amazing story, right? He's the most decorated in the history of any Olympians or of any country. He's had a total of 28 medals. 23 of them, if I'm not mistaken, are gold. Carly started sharing me a little bit of a story, and I didn't know behind the scenes what happened to this guy and where he came from and whatnot. And ever since he was a kid, he was laughed at because he had longer arms than usual. Everybody would laugh at him because his arms, like, reached his knees. I mean, mines are, like, about five, six inches. Imagine huge arms, and everybody would laugh at him. Everybody would mock him. Time passed, and he started being successful. His first Olympics was at the age of 16, if I'm not mistaken, right? Back in 2000, he was 16 or 15 years old, and he started racking up gold medals. He started having so much success at such a young age, but along with all this success, he had another side to his story and another side of, of who he was. When he was little, they had diagnosed him with ADD. And they gave him some medication for ADD that would also cause addiction to drugs. And as he grew up, as he started getting older, he started being dependent and started turning to drugs to the point that 
you guys have seen probably in the past some pictures of him, you know, with a bong and, and doing weed. And after last Olympics, 2012, in London, in 2014, two years after that, as he was getting ready and training for the 2016 Olympics, he had two DUIs. And after the second DUI, his life just started spiraling. I started reading a little bit about what happened. And after his second DUI, he posted a tweet saying that he was very embarrassed for what had happened. And then he was sorry for letting so many people that love him or that looked up to him down. And after that, the story tells that he went through a whole week where he didn't even eat a thing, didn't sleep. And he was locked up in his room about to commit suicide. After the 2012 Olympics, he was already the most decorated Olympian in history. He already had achieved that success. I mean, he didn't need the 2016 Olympics to get there. But even with all his accolades and even with everything he, he was able to achieve, inside he was alone and he wanted to commit suicide. And you say, wow, why does a person that has money, that has fame, that is the most decorated Olympian of all time, how can they get to a place so low? After that happened, thankfully he didn't take his life. He checked himself into rehab and a good friend of his called Ray Lewis, which some of you guys know, he's a, he used to be a UM linebacker and also played linebacker for the Baltimore Ravens. He's a Christian. He reached out to him and he started telling him, look man, if you quit, we all lose. Those were his words. And you got to keep going. You know, you can't just take your life. And when he checked into rehab, he gave him A Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren, the book. And two or three days after he checked himself into rehab, he called Ray Lewis and he started telling him, hey, man, you know what? What have you done to me? This book has changed my life. This is incredible. And to make the long story short, after that day, that was in September of 2014. It hasn't even been two years since that. Michael Phelps has been a born-again Christian, and now he swims for the glory of God. How many give God praise for that? Amazing story. So I was looking into this guy's story, and, and I started asking me a bunch of questions, and one of those was, what do you do when you spend all your life striving to reach success by the world standards or, or by, you know, by people's standards? But then once you get to the top, you realize that you're still empty you realize that I did everything. Hey, come on. 23 gold medals. This guy was celebrated. He was all over. He had endorsements, everything. Had money, and he's still wanting to take his life. What do you do when you reach the top and you say there's nothing else? There's no higher place to get to, or at least you think that way. And I want to share with you in the book of Ecclesiastes something very similar that happened to somebody that was a lot richer. Maybe he didn't have as many medals as Michael Phelps, but this guy was the richest person to ever live and that will ever live, more than Warren Buffett. He had more flow than Bill Gates combined. So go with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 4, 11. 4 all the way through 11, sorry. We're going to read a little bit about this guy who got to the top just like Michael Phelps. And he's looking back now and he's, he's starting to shed wisdom on us that we're working our way to the top and telling us what things our priorities, what things are vain, what things we should strive for, and what things are just a waste of time. Everybody there with me? Ecclesiastes chapter 2. If you have time at home, I'm going to give you a bunch of verses today. Read them because we don't have time to cover all of this. There's so much meat on these verses, but we don't have a lot of time to break it down as much as we would like. To. 
So Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 4, it says, I made my works great. I built myself houses. I planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards, and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees to the grove. I've acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. How many people would like to be at that level where you say, you want something and you could have it? There's no limits. I saw that. I like that yacht. I bought that yacht. I saw that car. Bought that car. Saw that house. Bought that house. Well, that's what he's saying here. He says that everything that his eyes saw, that he desired, wasn't kept from him. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and on the labor in which I had toiled. So now he's looking back. He's saying, well, I've worked all my life. Now I'm old. And he says, and indeed, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. And I started thinking about Michael Phelps' story and I started comparing Solomon's story and I see a lot of similarity because, you see, if God is not in the center of your heart, you could be doing everything right. You could be trying to be successful by your own standards, but you know what? There's going to be always something that's missing. How many say amen? So touch the person that's next to you and tell them, make sure God is in the center of your heart because if not, we're building on sand. Part of my pastoral duties is to visit people when they're in the hospital, when people get elderly and about to pass away, I'm the one that gets the call. And I love doing this. I love going to the hospital and giving people courage. And I love to sit down and listen to people that have lived all their life and they're 80 and they're 90 years old and they're about to go and be with Jesus because they have something that sometimes us younger people lack, which is perspective. Everybody say perspective. Sometimes we're so involved and caught up in our day-to-day -day things that we, we, we lack and we, we don't see the big picture. And I love to, to listen to them talk. And I've prayed over their lives and I've seen God do amazing things. I've seen people recover. I've seen people miraculously healed. But I also see some of them go to be with Jesus because it was their time. And I love to sit down. One thing that is interesting is that I've never, never, ever had a person say, man, I wish I would have worked harder and have bought a bigger house. I wish I had a faster and shinier sports car. I wish I would have had more money in the bank. You know, usually the type of regrets that you hear is, man, I wish I would have been more focused in God. I wish I would have done more here for God. I wish I would have forgiven my family members, because sometimes it's not until people get on their deathbeds 
that they want to fix all their grudges that they have. And they call family members that they haven't spoken to for 20 years because of maybe something stupid that they did. And, and they're like, I'm never going to talk to that person. But then in your deathbed, you get what we just spoke about, right? Perspective. And you start realizing that you only have a couple of days to go. And you say, man, I got to take care of stuff. And, you know, maybe if you would have taken care of some of that stuff before, during your life, you wouldn't have been on that bed to begin with. Because bitterness and grudge, man, that, that starts tearing up at your life, starts eating you up on the inside. It's incredible how these people with perspective, they know that they only have hours to live and they have a clear mind of saying, man, I should have done other things. And that's what I see in Solomon here. I see him already old, probably with a long beard. He didn't have no pleasure that he desired that he couldn't enjoy. Everything he wanted, he enjoyed. Everything that he desired, he was able to have. And now he looks back and he says, for what? What was the purpose of all that? It was all in vain. Why? Because he was missing the most important thing. You see, he started off right. He started off with God. But with time, he started thinking that all of the grace and all of the wisdom that he had was because of his knowledge and his personal accolades and because of everything that he was able to achieve. And he didn't realize that it was all by God's grace and God's glory. That's why we have to be careful as God starts using us, as God starts lifting us up, worship team, leaders. We have to have our heart in the right place and be humble to know wherever God takes us, even if he takes us to the top of the mountain, to understand that if it wasn't for God, man, you wouldn't even have made it to the middle of the mountain. So we always have to stay humble. But Solomon did not, and that was his demise. Some things you dedicate your life to achieve are just an illusion of success. King Solomon here, in the verse that we just started reading or in the scripture, is writing towards the end of his life and trying to teach us, the younger people, that there are things that are much more worthy of our efforts, our thoughts, and our strength than material things. He's saying, I've done all this. I'm older now, and I can't take none of this with me. If you continue reading the chapter, you'll see that he starts questioning and formulating a lot more questions. And he's saying, well, I've worked hard all my life to get to this point. But now who knows who's going to come after me or what they're going to do with all the wealth that I did. Everything I've accumulated during my entire reign or during my entire life, somebody else is going to come and inherit that. And it could be a wise person or it could be a foolish person that in a matter of years just blows everything away. So what was the purpose As I was meditating on King Solomon and Michael Phelps' testimony, God brought to memory scripture, Matthew 8, 36. Write it down real quick. I'll read it with you. It says, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What profit, what do I get for winning the whole world here, but then when I have to leave here, I can't take anything with me, and I don't have... My, my future or my eternity assured in Christ. That's what I want to talk to you about. And I want you to go now to the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. We're going to read Isaiah 55, and then we're going to go back to 54. If you read the title of Isaiah 55, it's called An Invitation to Abundant Life. And I want you to put your arms next to the person that's closest to you, and I want you to tell them, pay attention to this scripture because it's an invitation for you. The God that we serve is an abundant God. He's not a scarce God. 
He's not a God that is always lacking. He is a God that provides, that has more than we can ever need, more than what we can ever desire. How many say amen? As a matter of fact, the things that you're needing right now, the things that you wish you had, and, and you're not like Solomon, that everything you desired you could have, you're not at that level yet, and you're like, my gosh, will I ever get there? If you put God in first place in your life, he's going to show himself to be an abundant God in everything you need. How many of you believe that? So let's read this together. An invitation to an abundant life. I think this is an encouraging chapter to read. It says, ho, not the kind that you're thinking. <laughs> it's a hello. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. And then he assures one more time. He says, yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. It's an invitation for all. This is what God is offering us. It's an abundant life. How many say amen? And the most incredible thing is that it's costless. There's no price on this. God is saying, hey, look, I've prepared the way. I paid the cost for everything that you guys are going to be able to enjoy. So just come, enjoy. I have abundance for you. If you follow my ways, if you do what I said in my word, I'm going to take care of all your needs. If you put me in first place in your life, like Matthew 6, 36 says, if you seek the kingdom of God first, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of your money. I'm going to take care of, of your relationships. I'm going to take care. I'm going to open doors that no devil can close. I'm going to close doors that no devil can open. And, and God is telling you, look, come. Come over here and test me. Come to the waters, everyone who's thirsty. If you have no money, if you're in such a bad state right now that you're probably thinking, man, not even God can get me out of this. I'm so sunk deep that not even God could pull me out of this pit where I'm in. You know what? God has the power to be able to take you out of wherever you are right now. Costless. Because he already paid the price. And verse number two says, why do you spend money for what is not bread? Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages... For that, that does not satisfy. Why do, you, why do you spend your strength in serving other gods? Somebody preached in the last couple of days about, I think it was Raul David Avila last Friday night, and he spoke about how subtly we could be serving God and other gods at the same time. And he's saying, look, why? Why do you spend money for what is not bread? Why do you spend your, your youth and your efforts and your time instead of doing the work of God, instead of serving God, things that... It, you're starting to build something that the day of tomorrow is just going to come down. And your wages for that, that does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. How many say abundance? Come on, say it again, abundance. That's what God has planned and destined for your life. So he continues and he's challenging the people of Israel in this case. And through faith, I receive this for myself. Amen. I don't know how many... Other people here receive this word for yourself. I mean, through faith, I am a son of God. I am a son of Abraham. And he says, incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. So God is telling us, look, come, eat what is good. I don't want you to be eating what pigs ate. You guys remember the story of the prodigal son. I don't want you to be down in the gutter. 
I came and I gave my life so you could have life and life in abundance. I came so you could experience my abundance in every single detail of your life and in every single area. So come and eat. Why is it so hard? And why do we not eat from everything that God is offering us? And we take bites out of so many things that this world has to offer. And sometimes we say we don't have time for God as if it was an option or it's something that's detrimental to us when it's the spring of life that God offers to get us to the place where he wants to take us, which is a place of blessing. And what I love here is that God's blessing is not temporary. It says that when we eat of God, it leads us into an everlasting covenant. You see, when you're under God's covenant, it's a covenant forever. God's going to bless you abundantly, not just here in this earth, but also he's going to give you everlasting life. Man, you know, sometimes we strive so hard for God's blessings here on earth. But, you know, if God would just open our spiritual eyes and we would see the kind of blessings that God has in store in heaven, my gosh, we wouldn't struggle so hard to seek God. We'd say, God, why don't you come and take me now? Because nothing compares, nothing that you experience in this world, no want, no desire can compare to all the things that God has for us in eternity. The greatest blessing of all, we're going to see it and we're going to experiment it in the afterlife, afterwards, when we're together with Jesus for the rest of eternity. Verse number six, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. We spoke a little bit about the door being shut. You guys remember when we spoke about the ten virgins? A couple of weeks ago, and the five virgins that weren't ready, they went to go get oil, and then when they came back, they realized that the door was shut. God himself had shut the door. I told you guys that it reminded me of Noah's Ark. Remember when God himself shut the door? Well, God is saying here, look, before the door shuts, seek the Lord. Seek him while he can be found. Call upon him. While he is near, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he'll have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. How many say amen to that? God's plan for your life is greater than any plan that you could write down or plot for your own life. And we all take care of each other, right? I mean, we all want the best for ourselves. Otherwise, you'd be a crazy person if you want the worst for you. We all strive to be as prosperous as we can. You know, we want to give ourselves a good life. If we have children, we want to give our children the best that we can. And how much more, God? God says, look, my thoughts are much higher than yours. Sometimes we don't realize it. We let so many things get in and so many things tug at our hearts, tug at our time, at our attention. And we don't realize that God is calling us and he says, seek me while there's still time. Seek me and draw closer to me while I'm still here because there's going to be a time where the door is going to be shut. The Bible talks about a time and we talked about it when we spoke about the 10 virgins that he's going to come for his church and the church is going to be raptured and we're going to go to the wedding of the Lamb. And we're going to just be parting up in heaven while hell is going to be breaking loose here on earth. So God is saying, look, there's going to be a time where people are going to cry out and I'm not going to be hearing anymore. So while there's still time and now there's still time. If you're 
if you're still not walking in righteousness, if you're still not putting forth your maximum effort to draw closer to God and to live in a godly way, I encourage you tonight from this pulpit not to spend or wait another second. If that's you tonight in the calling, you should run up here and say, God, I want to get my life in order. I want you to help me. Maybe there's certain things that you can let go of, you know, but hey, don't worry about it. God just wants a humble heart for you to come and say, God, I messed up. I need you to help me. That's the equivalent of what he's saying. Come, draw near to me. All God wants you to do is draw near. And the thing that you can't do and you can't resolve on your own, God will do it. And God will help you and he'll give you strength if you need strength. He'll give you provision if you need provision. If you need boldness, he'll give you boldness. Whatever you need, he is the source of every living resource that you could ever desire, need, or want. But he just wants you to say, God, maybe, maybe I'm not pursuing you as much as I should. So when I read the scripture, it's really resounding inside of me. I need to get closer to you. I need to seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. Tell somebody close to you. Come on, tap him on the shoulder and tell him he is near. He is still near. So we're still in time. If you jump to verse number 11, it says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. Look at how important God's word is. You know, sometimes we struggle with reading the Bible. We have problems serious problems, trying to separate time in our, in our daily walk with God to read the Bible. But look how important it is. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall never return to me void. You see, when God speaks to you a word like on a night like today or while you're reading the word or while you're listening to the radio going home and you hear a scripture, man, you need to embrace that word. You need to grab a hold of it and say, man, that word's for me. Why? Because God promised that every word that he sends to you, whether it be through a pastor, whether it be through you reading the Bible, it's never going to come back void. It's always going to produce something if you believe it. And that's the key. If you don't have faith, if you read the Bible like you're reading a Harry Potter novel, then not much is going to happen. But if you believe the words that you're reading, something's going to happen inside because his word says that it shall never return void, but it shall accomplish what I please. Come on, touch the person next to you and tell them God's desire and what he pleases for your life is to see you abundantly blessed in every single area. Come on, can we put our hands together for the king? It shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So if God sends you a word of prosperity and you're broke, you don't have money to pay a bus fare, you don't have anything, but you received that word of prosperity, God sent it with that purpose. And if you believe it, you're connecting with God, and something starts happening in that connection in the spiritual realm, and what was not will come to be. How many say amen? And that's how it works. It never will return void. And then it says, for you shall go out with joy. I love this. Everybody say, I will go out with joy. I'm speaking to people here that, man, something has hit you so hard that you don't have the joy that you had yesterday. You don't have the joy that you had months ago, years ago, or maybe even weeks ago. Something happened inside of you or something's going wrong in your relationships or something's going on inside of you. Maybe it's your relationship with God that you started drifting a little bit away and, and you started lacking joy, but God says that once you start believing God's words, once you start drawing close to him while he is near, then you shall go out with joy 
and you shall be led out with peace. So everybody say, I'm going to go out with joy every morning. And I am going to lay to rest every single night with peace. Doesn't matter what hell the devil tries to bring my way. I know that I could wake up with joy. And by the time I put my head on my pillow, I'm going to go to sleep with peace. Yes, sir. It continues on to say, the mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you. Come on. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree. And instead of the brayer shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name for an everlasting. Once again, you know, this is not temporary. Everybody say everlasting. For an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Every word of God's mouth into your life will flourish and will accomplish its objective. Come on, raise your hand with me, and I want you to declare this. We're going to declare this together. Say, everything God has spoken over my life will prosper. Say, I will start my day with joy, and I will go to sleep at night in peace. Not just one day, but in perpetuity. Every single day of my life. How many believe that with all their hearts? Amen. And I want you to go to the book of Isaiah right there where we were reading. We're going to go back one chapter as we close off Isaiah chapter 54. The future glory of, and I want you to say your name. So I want you to raise your hand with me, your right hand, and say the future glory and say your name of Jonathan. The future glory of whatever your name is. And let's read about this because... That's why I shared with you what Phelps went through, his testimony. Because I truly believe that this is what Michael Phelps experienced. And he was able to prove for himself that it was better than all the medals that he accomplished. It was better than fame, than all the recognition and the money he may have accumulated throughout his entire life. Let me just share with you a little glimpse of the future. I don't know where you stand today, where you are, if you have joy, if you're in your best season in your walk with Christ, or maybe you're not in a good place. But wherever you are today, I want to give you a little glimpse of what God has spoken over your life, and I want you to grab this word for yourself. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 1. It says, Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. I want you to see this because God is talking to Israel, his people. We are God's people. How many say amen? He's talking to us. You're going to see throughout the Bible that God always compares himself to the husband and the church, which is us. He compares it to his wife. Sing, O barren. It's talking about a lady that couldn't get pregnant and she had problems. She's been trying to get pregnant because in Israelite culture, to not have kids was a curse. If you couldn't have kids... They looked down on you and you were like, you must be up to no good doing something and God must have cursed you. For a woman not to be able to procreate and to have children was a curse. And sometimes we feel that we're cursed. Sometimes we feel that we have things lacking and things that are just locked up. They're just stuck and God has prophesied over your life and God probably has given you and shared with you his dream for your life giving you glimpses of his plans for your life and all of a sudden you don't see it come to pass on 
On the contrary, you probably see that every single day that passes, you're a little bit further and further. And you're like, God, where, where are you in the midst of this? But God's word for you tonight is like, even if you're far, you need to start singing because it's coming. You need to start believing beyond the shadow of a doubt that what God has promised over your life, it's going to come. And if he's spoken it over your life, there is no devil that could stand in between. So look what he said. He says, sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman. God's going to bless you so much that you're going to surpass all the children of the married woman, right? All the people that you looked up and you said, wow, how come God blessed that person more than me? And, and he's up to no good. You're going to pass somebody because that's going to be the favor of God. And then he says something. And I love this because this has to do with faith. He's talking about doing something before you see anything, right? Because sometimes we like to do things when we start seeing something. We say, oh, God, if you bless me, I'll start tithing. No, start tithing now. So God can bless you. <laughs> you got it upside down. You got to flip the script on that. If you do this, then I'll do that. But God says, look, start. You start. In that state of barrenness that you are right now, he starts saying, enlarge the place of your tent. And let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. And then he says, look, don't spare. Don't spare. Be generous. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Come on, touch somebody next to you and tell them this word is for you. God is telling you, come on, you're going to preach to your neighbor. God is telling you to extend yourself to the left, to the right, because what God is bringing is going to be so great. So God is telling you, look, don't focus so much where you are right now. Focus in everything that I'm going to do if you have faith to believe me that I will do it. Strengthen your stakes. I love it because it's talking about you're going to make desolate cities inhabited. Cities that are ghost towns, that there's nothing. You're going to build a city on it. You're going to make things happen where there's nothing. That's what God is saying. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed. Neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. For you will forget the shame of your youth. God's blessing is going to be so powerful that you're not even going to remember the hell where God brought you out of. Carly and I went through a few challenges in our 11 years of marriage. We've seen God's glory in such an incredible way, just open doors that nobody could open. One of the things that challenged us in our marriage was we wanted to have a child three years after we got married. And after three years of marriage, Carly started feeling bad physically. And she started going to the doctors to see what was going on. And the doctors were like, we don't find anything. You're fine and dandy. There's nothing wrong with you. But she kept feeling bad, and she kept feeling bad, and it was really, really bad. It got to a point where we went to doctors in Argentina, Venezuela. Everything seemed closed. We felt barren in that sense. You know, we wanted to have a child, and something was in between and was not allowing the process to come and to flourish. We just started trusting God. We started believing God, and we started extending our tents. We started believing God and doing things before. We started preparing our hearts because we knew that God had spoken and that there's a blessing over my generation. So I wasn't going to accept anything that the devil was trying to do in our lives. Like they even told Carly that she wasn't going to be able to have kids. We rebuked it. We believed God's word. And that's what you got to do. Sometimes everything you see or everything they tell you is negative, negative, negative. And you're like, well, where's God in the middle of this? But God is saying, you may be barren today, 
But you know what? Start getting ready because something amazing is coming. It's right around the corner. If you could just believe, start preparing everything and start getting ready. Hey, if you're wanting to get married and you don't even have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or anybody even asking you for your number, start your savings account in faith. Say, it's going to come from somewhere. I'm going to start saving. Yeah. One time when we were, we were really tight financially, right after we got married, when I was single, bought a townhouse. And I was renting it to somebody. And then when we got married, we bought a house. But then the person that rented, she left. And then we were paying two mortgages. And we didn't have money to cover all that stuff that was going on. Every month, we had to put money from a credit card. And we got into like $20,000 debt. It was really bad. So the house wouldn't sell. And it was eight months that we had the house, two houses at the same time. And it was getting really bad. The debt was really accumulating. And we're like, God, it was right in 2007 when the housing market started tumbling. So we're like, oh, God, we need to see your glory. I remember that. I said, you know what? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start giving tithes for what I want God to bless me with beforehand. Because sometimes we tithe and we say, God, if you give me this, then, you know, I'll increase my tithe. To, instead of 10, I'll give you 12%. But I said, you know what? I'm going to be ahead of the curve, and I'm going to provoke God to bless you. I'm going to show him that I trust in him. And I think that's what Isaiah is saying here. He's saying, hey, before it happens, while you're barren, start in faith reinforcing. Start extending your tent. Start extending your curtains. Start getting ready for what the blessing is going to come because you're going to have a lot of children. You're going to have more children. The desolate's going to have more children. You're preparing in faith, and we did that. I remember that my realtor called me and he said, you know what? God must love you guys a lot. <laughs> I remember he said something like that somewhere along those lines. And he said, we got somebody and he's really interested in the house and he wants to buy it. Bought that townhouse for 189000 when I was single. We sold it when we were married and we sold it for three hundred and five. And after that, that townhouse went down to one twenty. Look how God works. And I believe in doing things in faith because sometimes we wait for God to do something, but God is waiting sometimes for you. He wants to see an action of faith. Remember we spoke in Get Your Fight On. We talked about respond and react. God wants you to respond. And sometimes the threat comes and the enemy all of a sudden starts speaking at your mind. And maybe it's not a financial problem that you're going through, but maybe it's trying to get into college or maybe it's something with your wife and in your marriage or maybe it's a business that you're trying to start. And you know what? Start getting ready because what God is going to do over your life is amazing, is amazing. How many believe it? Come on, put your hands together. It says, do not fear for you will not be ashamed, neither be disgraced for you will not be put to shame. God says, look, if you trust in me, if you believe in me, you will never be put to shame for you will forget the shame of your youth and you will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. Come on, put your hands around somebody and tell them, that's my dad. He is the God of the whole earth. He owns everything. You don't think he's going to take care of you? And I want to finish off, if somebody could help me on the keys. Marco, it was all ready. 
I want you to go, same chapter 54, and we're going to go down to verse 13. We're going to read 13, 14, 15, and then we're going to skip to 17. It says, all your children shall be taught by the Lord. Notice that now God's promises passes from you personally, and now he starts speaking generationally, and he starts speaking about your children. Because if you believe God with all your heart, and if you move in faith, and if you seek him while he's near and put him first place in your life, you're going to see everything that Isaiah 55 talks about. You're going to see his abundance in everything you do. But because it's perpetual, because God doesn't just bless you for a season or God doesn't just bless you for a moment. Now we see here in verse 13 that it's carrying over to our children. Maybe you're like, my gosh, I don't even know when I'll have my children because you're young. But one day you'll have children. It may be 10 years from now, 15, 20 maybe, but you'll have children someday. And when that time comes, because of your faithfulness to God today, and because you're believing God and you're operating in faith, all your children shall be taught by the Lord. And great shall be the peace of your children. How many receive that in Jesus' name? In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression. You shall not fear and from terror for it shall not come near you. Indeed, they shall surely assemble, but not because of me. Whoever assembles against you shall fall for your sake. And then it says this verse that we always cite and declare. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord of JTP Church. Emphasis added. And the righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Come on, if that doesn't excite you, if that doesn't give you a reason to shout and say, thank you, God, I don't know what does. Our relationship with your creator will be more satisfying than any accolade and than anything that you could, any success you could accumulate. And I take it back to this whole Michael Phelps testimony. I mean, incredible. 23 or 20, at that point, 18 gold medals. The most, the most decorated Olympian in history, and yet he wanted to commit suicide because he was empty and he was missing the most important thing. I mean, success is not bad. Don't get me wrong. Success is amazing. It's guaranteed by God. But when, when you do it God's way, the Bible says that it doesn't add sorrow. The blessing of the Lord maketh rich. That's what the Bible says. And it does not add sorrow. So God does know how to bless people. But when you do it God's way, and when you, you humble yourself and you realize that if God prospered advance by the grace of God and you give him all glory, and you're not tied up to all your blessings, but every time God blesses you and gives you, man, you put up your tithes and you give more and you're, you're always giving to God. When you consider God in all your ways, you're just preparing your way to always, perpetually, and forever being blessed. And you will never have sorrow added to that. On the contrary, you will wake up with joy and you will go to sleep with peace. There will be people, and here he makes emphasis, and he says, look, there's going to be oppression. People, they'll lift up against you, but you're, you shall not fear, for a terror will not come near you. Even your children will enjoy peace and joy and all of God's blessing. How many believe this? I believe that this is a message not just for us, it's for our generations. 
It's what we're working for. And maybe you're first-generation Christian. I was speaking to Anir back there at the beginning of the service, and I was telling him about Luca because Luca is fourth-generation Christian. He's Joseph. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, fourth generation. You guys know the story of Joseph. You know, he was set to govern, and he governed over all Egypt. And all of this because my grandmother once believed in God while she was ready to die of cancer. You know, all the doctors had said, look, she has no hope. And because one woman just raised her eyes to heaven and said, look, if there even is a God up in heaven, I just ask that you give me three years so that I can raise my kids. And because she turned to God, God revealed himself to her, healed her, gave her 34 years to see her children, her grandchildren, her great-grandchildren. And because of that, my father's been a pastor. My mother's a pastor. I'm a pastor. Both of my aunts are pastors. I have great uncles that are pastors. I mean, just, just amazing because we've seen the power of God. And now, now, I look around and I'm like third-generation Christian. And sometimes I, I talk to Carly and I'm like, man, I feel sometimes that God protects me. It's like, you know, I don't, I don't even have situations where I need to cry out to God. So, because I believe that God protects my home. He protects my family. He protects everything. And this is part of the lineage and the promise and the covenant, the everlasting covenant that the Almighty has with my house. He doesn't pick people and leave people out. It's for all those that believe Him. And maybe you're, you're like, well, I'm, I'm not a fourth generation Christian. You know, I'm the first generation Christian. You know, the Bible says that when you come to Christ and you genuinely open your heart, and like we read today, you seek him while he's near, God will establish a covenant starting this day with you that's going to transcend your life. It's going to transcend your children and the children of your children, and they're going to be blessed and they're not going to be put to shame. And you're going to see the glory of God in your household from generation to generation. Put your hands around somebody and tell them, God is getting to do amazing things over your family. Stand on your feet, JTP Church. We spoke about so many things that God promised his people. And God is not somebody that lies. God is somebody that if he says something, he's going to come through with it, right? He won't tell you something and then say, oh, you know what? I changed my mind because um, you were up to no good last week. And no, when God promises something, he comes through. And it doesn't matter how far you are from him today. There's nothing that you could have done that could surprise God. Jesus died for every sin committed to this day and that would ever be committed. He paid a very heavy price on that cross, shedding his blood. And he prepared an amazing gift, which is his blessing, everything we talked about. And that's for every single person here, no exception. And all he says is, draw near. I have everything you need. Stop trying to look for it in other things. Stop settling for cheap substitutes. Stop trying to look in drugs, what only I can give you. The high that Jesus could give you is unlike no other high. Stop looking into alcohol. Stop looking into sex. Stop looking into so many other things. And you're trying to, you know, fill this void that you have in your heart when Jesus all along is saying, it's, hey, it's here. Come. And it costs you nothing. Come. For all those who are thirsty, drink of this well that never goes dry. And I want to do a calling here for people that want to give God an opportunity. Maybe you've tried many things out there. But you've never seriously said, God, I'm going to give you a chance 
tonight and I'm going to open my heart and I know that things are going to start to get better with you. And if that's you, I want you to raise your hand right there where you are. I'm going to ask everybody just out of respect, if everybody could just close their eyes. Because this is something very personal. God is speaking to many people's lives. Maybe you've tried so many things and you have this void in your heart and just trying to fill it up with so many, so much stuff. But you know what? God brought you here. It wasn't your mom. It wasn't your friend. It wasn't, you know, what you saw on Facebook, an invitation. Maybe God used those things to bring you here, but it's because of God's love for you because you're important to him. He loved you so much that he died for you and he's not going to give up until he sees his plans fulfilled in your life and in your family. And it doesn't matter what you lived in the past, starting today, the glory of God is going to just pour out over your life. So if there's anybody here that wants to open their hearts to God, just raise your hand right there with your eyes closed. I saw your hand. God bless you. I saw your hand. God bless you. Awesome. God bless you. 